good evening. <laughs> All right. I knew I was on, and I forgot to look at when I was supposed to come up. So, But we are good. So this is Zechariah, chapter 11, verses 4 through 17. And that's on page 775, if you're looking in your blue book here. This is what the Lord my God says. Shepherd the flock marked for slaughter. Their buyers slaughter them and go unpunished. Those who sell them say, praise the Lord, I am rich. Their own shepherds do not spare them. For I will no longer have pity on the people of the land, declares the Lord. I will give everyone into the hands of their neighbors and their king. They will devastate the land and I will not rescue anyone from their hands. <clears throat> so I shepherd the flock marked for slaughter, particularly the oppressed of the flock. Then I took two staffs and called one favor and the other union, and I shepherded the flock. In one month, I got rid of the three shepherds. The flock deserted detested me, and I grew weary of them, and said, I will not be your shepherd. Let the dying die, and the perishing perish. Let those who are left eat one another's flesh. <clears throat> then I took my staff and called favor and broke it, revoking the covenant I had made with all the nations. It was revoked on that day, and so the oppressed of the flock who were watching me knew it was the word of the Lord. I told them, if you think it best, give me my pay, but if not, keep it. So they paid me 30 pieces of silver. And the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter, the handsome price at which they valued me. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them to the potter at the house of the Lord. Then I broke off my second staff, called Union, breaking the family bond between Judah and Israel. Then the Lord said to me, Take again the equipment of a foolish shepherd, for I am going to raise up a shepherd over the land who will not care for the, host, for the lost, or seek the young, or heal the injured, or feed the healthy, but will eat the meat of the choice sheep, tearing off their hooves. Woe to the worthless shepherd who deserts the flock. May the sword strike his arm and his right eye. May his arm be completely withered, his right eye totally blinded. Well, for him. So he's motivated, trying to get people going, telling them what's going to be happening. And, but it's an apocalyptic book, and it means a study of or prophecies concerning the end of the world. I mean, how many times have you thought, uh, you, look, you watch, turn the TV on, you go and turn it off, you're like, oh, the end of the world's happening tomorrow, right? So sometimes I can't watch the news because it's just too crazy. It's like, I, I don't want to watch that anymore. It brings me down. As a pastor, though, if you've read this, it uh, can be um, kind of crazy. Uh, the book of uh, Zechariah is eschatological, it's revelations and oracles, and they're not easy to figure out. Even what I had 
Eric read today, or what he read today, it's not easy to figure out. You know, he breaks a stick, breaks another stick. There were three bad shepherds. Um, but uh, what takes place here prior to Zechariah is some of these revelations have taken place. Some take place during Zechariah's time. Some are the first advent or the arrival of Jesus. Some are related to his life. Some to his rejection by Israel. Some to the rapture. Some to the tribulation and the millennial reign of Christ. It's, it covers the whole thing. Uh, it could be a scary book to read. But I have to remind myself, you know, God, you know, hell, I just heard this recently from a different, I was listening to somebody else's message, and he just reminded me of something that Chuck Smith used to always say. He said, uh, uh, you know, hell was never designed for man. It's designed for, for, for the fallen angels. Um, God has destined us to be with him in glory, that all men should be saved and none should perish. That's his goal. We send ourselves to hell in our rejection of the message. And so when you read, th- you know that, and you read through Zechariah, you realize these people have the truth, and yet they're still going to reject it. And that's what Zechariah is warning them against. Scary prospects and exciting. We need to change our focus on from being scared about stuff like that to being hopeful. Hey, we're going to be with Christ in the, in the end. Praise the Lord. Good stuff. You know, um, first thing we're going to look at today is, uh, besides my lovely ladies, is um, first point, uh, Jerusalem is special, if you didn't know. And I realize that's probably too small to read, but I'll just tell you what the scriptures are. In Zechariah uh, chapter 9, verses 8 and 9, and then Matthew 23 are the two scriptures. You know, um, if you didn't know, what happens this year, that the United States recognized Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. Now, that's a big deal. That is a big, big deal. Um, the enemies of Israel, very grumpy about that. Um, but Jerusalem is a special place in Scripture. We're, in fact, we're told in the first chapter of Zechariah, and we see it played out through chapter 9 and throughout the Bible, God makes it clear that he's in control of the destiny of this city. And the destiny of that city. Uh, it is a place where Abraham was to offer Isaac, and then God provided a substitute for Isaac. It's the place where King David had his throne. It's the location of the first temple, and then the second temple, and eventually the third temple in the time of tribulation. It's the place where Jesus arrives. He ministers. He's rejected. He's crucified. He's buried. He rises from the the dead. It's the place where the new heaven and earth will come. It is the place where the living waters will flow. It's the place where the ruling of Jesus during the millennial reign of Christ will take place. All in this place. When Jenny and I went there, um, it is amazing. But you can't help realize it just looks like a bunch of rocks. Some rocks are stacked nice into walls. Some places are just rocks. And uh, there's scraggly-looking trees over here and scraggly-looking trees over there. There's nothing about it you would say, wow! But when you see pictures of the old temple, it's gorgeous. And I believe that the... Uh, final temple. When Christ arrives, it's going to be amazing. In Zechariah's time, we read of the prophecy that it would be protected from the invading power, but the oppressors who surrounded them would be destroyed. And, uh, you know, Alexander the Great um, was, if you don't know anything about this guy, he's pretty amazing, but he would rampage through, he would, uh, he actually is the guy who brought uh, Hellenism, brought Greek culture uh, to the world, really. And uh, but he gets to Jerusalem. He's going to invade Jerusalem. 
And the Jewish high priest has a dream where God tells him to go out and meet Alexander the Great. And so the, the high priest gets all dressed up in his high priestly garb, and he heads out there along with some other uh, priests. And uh, the amazing thing is Alexander the Great had the same dream that God told him he was going to meet these men. Uh, Josephus tells this story. And then, uh, so they meet together, and Alexander the Great does not destroy Jerusalem. He does not destroy Jerusalem. Right after this, as described in chapter 9, Zechariah then predicts the arrival of Jesus into Jerusalem, the man of peace, God's own son. In fact, uh, this is a scripture that we read at Easter all the time. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Uh, shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. Um, it's Palm Sunday. Zechariah is predicting Palm Sunday. From the New Testament, we know that this did not turn out well for Zechariah, uh, as he prophesied it. Um, Jesus would be sold for 30 pieces of silver, and he'd be arrested and pierced and killed. So it is here that Zechariah prophesies what Jesus would also uh, prophesy about that city, about Jerusalem, that it would be destroyed. And that's the Matthew 23 verse that you can barely read. Uh, Verses 37 to 39. Um, o Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets and stoned those sent to you. You know, isn't that amazing? You know, God's trying to get their attention throughout, throughout history, human history. God has been trying to get our attention. God constantly sends people to talk to the people about, hey, you know, turn your life back to the Lord, repent. Um, and what do the people do? They kill them. Oh, you kill the prophets and stone those sent to you. How often have I longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Look, your house is left desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, behold, or blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And Matthew 24 says, Jesus left the temple and walking away uh, when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to his building, do you see all these things, he asked? I tell you the truth, not one stone here will be left on the other. Everyone will be thrown down. At the time, the wall was huge. The temple was glorious in looking. I can't, often I think about this, and I wonder, what would that actually, how do you relate that to something else? And I think uh, the best I can come up with, you know, if, if I don't know if you've ever seen, uh, or had a chance to see the Twin Towers in New York. Um, if you were to walk by that and someone say, in, in one day, those would fall. Uh, someone would look at you and go, nah, that never happened. Never happened. One day, that building would be destroyed. You would think it'd be impossible. It was such a glorious building. It was beautiful to look at. And yet, gone. In Jesus' time, to say the temple's going to disappear, those huge stones would be thrown down. People would say, no way that could happen. And yet, that's exactly what took place. Seventy years after the death of Jesus and the resurrection in Jerusalem, uh, Jerusalem completely fell. The temple is destroyed, the people slaughtered, and they're scattered. In fact, on August 10th, A.D. 70, the very day when the king of Babylon had arrived and destroyed the first temple in 586, the, Roman, the Romans arrived 70 and 70 A.D. Isn't that crazy? Same day. The Romans burned the city and the temple. They plundered the gold. The gold uh, melted. 
fell down between the cracks and they had to take the stones apart in order to get the gold out. The Romans burned the city and they plundered the gold. Uh, Daniel predicted the temple was destroyed after the Messiah's coming, not before. Jerusalem supports the wrong team. My second idea here. This is from chapter 11. Jerusalem remained a desolate wasteland from A.D. 70 to 1948. In fact, if you, not now, but later, you can Google pictures of Jerusalem at the turn of the century, of 1900. There's nothing there. Nothing. When the, when the Turks had the place, it was just a desolate wasteland, uh, wasteland. God's word tells us that God would draw his people back to their homeland uh, in uh, Ezekiel 38 and Amos uh, 9.14. Amos says, uh, I will bring back my exiled people, Israel, and they will rebuild the ruined cities and live in them. They will plant vineyards and drink their, their wine. They will make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant Israel in their land, never again to be uprooted from the land I have given them, says the Lord. In 1967, the year of Jenny's birth, and uh, yesterday was her birthday, uh, you know, Israel annexed um, the rest of Jerusalem from Jordan. So they had the whole thing. And since the reestablishment of the nation of Israel, Israel has grown and grown and grown. And they've been attacked by their neighbors, but God has protected them. Now, many people saw the reestablishment of Israel as, as key for the rapture and the tribulation. God's coming. He's coming just around the corner. And uh, how many times in our lifetime have we heard people give us the exact date? Anytime someone says that, I know for sure that's not the time. Someone tells you it's going to be Tuesday at 9, that's the, day, the date and time you can sin all you want because he's not coming right then. Actually, don't do that. But we've thought, oh, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. And uh, he is coming. Now, granted, I always say this, he may come right now. He might come later, right? He might come for another thousand years. We don't know for sure. Our job is to be ready for his arrival and not to miss out on it. Make sure we're, we're supporting the right team, which is Christ. The disciples hear the words of Matthew 24, and they're excited and wonder when the prophecies he just spoke about will come to pass. And Jesus says this. At that time, the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and all the nations of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of the sky with power and great glory, and he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call. They will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. Which, by the way, this is why I, I truly believe the Salvation Army believers are called up first because we have to play in the band. So just a fraction of a second before. So I don't know. <laughs> now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see all these things, you know that it is near right at the door. I tell you the truth, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. This whole passage of scripture, the whole idea is Israel's going to be reestablished. And when that happens, you know the time is near. And people get very excited to think, wow, one generation. And you might think, well, uh, during the time of Christ, it'll be about 70 years. And it's been 72 years since um, Israel has been reborn, so he could come at any moment. Super excited, Jesus is coming. But that's not the big picture. That's not the big picture. You see, Israel rejected Christ, and they would not get get it and, and surrender until the second advent and the return of Christ. 
And that's prophesied in, uh, in John 5.43 and Daniel 9.27. In fact, they're going to accept the false shepherd, the person that, that Eric read, read about, the false shepherd, which tells us, which is, comes after the rapture. The Antichrist makes a covenant with Israel to protect them for seven years, and after three and a half years, he decides he's going to be the object of, of worship, and he sets himself up in this new temple. And uh, during the first three years, there's these two witnesses that are mentioned as olive trees in Zechariah chapter 11, but they're pretty cool. If you read about them in Revelation, where fire came from their mouth. And uh, it's great stuff. The main point we have to realize here through all of this is that God is faithful. And he keeps his word. And he brings the people back into the land, and yet they still don't accept Christ as their Savior. In fact, they eventually partner with the Antichrist. They compromise with the Antichrist. The time of tribulation will be awful and terrible. And the Bible actually talks about the whole idea that people will, it'll be so bad, people will want to die, but they will not be able to die. It's scary. And if you want to know more, go to Bible study. That's all I can say. Our third idea is deliverance and restoration. God doesn't leave them there. I don't know if you've ever watched one of those movies that gets to the very end. I hate these movies, by the way, because I need closure. But you watch one of these movies, and it leaves you stuck with what happened. Right? There was this, like, um, dream within a dream within a dream movie. What was the name of that thing? Exception. Hate that movie. So every time I watch it, I have my own ending on that movie. Nope, that's not what happened. But God doesn't leave us there. He's got an ending. He's got an ending. Deliverance and restoration. Chapters 12 and 14 of Zechariah tell us this. Just when everything seems at its worst during the tribulation. I don't know about you. Have you ever been through a period of time where you're like, it just couldn't get any worse, and then it gets worse? Well, life is going to happen that way during the tribulation also. Remember, it's a future event. If you're a faithful believer, you're not going to be here. I believe anyway. Uh, is your faith wishy-washy or fake? Well, then you should be nervous. Just saying. So when it all seems lost and everything's rampaging, Jesus returns to the Mount of Olives and uh, he comes out of the sky and um, Revelation 1-7 tells us the people of earth will mourn. Look, he is coming in the clouds and every eye will be seen, uh, even those who pierced him. And the people of the earth will mourn because of him. Curse shall be no more. You know, there's uh, on YouTube... Um, Popped up in my my feed, you know. I don't know about you, at the very front page of your homepage. Uh, sometimes it shows up, you know, biggest fails of 2019. Ever, anybody ever watch those? Somebody riding a bicycle and they ride into a pole. Somebody talking to a friend and they walk into a pole. Poles are very dangerous. <laughs> but the biggest fail ever will be to say, "Hey, we partnered with the Antichrist and we pierced that one. We're not going to believe in Jesus." And yet there he is. Oops. Biggest oops moment in history. The Bible says that every eye will see his return in glory, accompanied by his holy angels and his church, the bride of Christ. He'll put an end to the battle of Armageddon. He'll, his Jesus' throne will be in Jerusalem. It'll be an awesome event. Scary and exciting. Oh, you know, the idea of prophetic scripture and... Uh, and passages of scripture can be scary. They present both a scary prospect and an exciting prospect. 
When you know Christ, it's an exciting prospect. When you don't know Christ, you don't want to hear about these things. And I know I've said this before. When I, when I was in my 20s, I, you know, I, my brain went completely stupid. And uh, I was living completely opposite of the way I should be living. But God was there. And there I realized we don't pass these things out. They're called six tracks, but they're like little cartoon books. And, uh, and one of them was, uh, this was your life. Has anybody ever seen those? This was your life. I should buy some of these. And, uh, and I'll tell you that if I was doing something really stupid, if I was partying down in Mexico and surfing my friends, I'd walk into the bathroom. And you know what was sitting on the counter? That Chick Track. I'd go into a restaurant. I'd go to the restroom. You know what would be sitting on the counter in there? That Chick Track. I'd go back to the table. The Chick Track would be there. I'd walk outside. There'd be one of those crazy Christians. And you know what he's doing? He's passing those things out. God does not give up on us. Praise the Lord. He chases us. Why? Because he wants everyone to be saved. Everyone to be saved. I have peace in my heart knowing that uh, I will be with Christ in eternity. And that same peace is available to each and every one of us. So when the big waves pummel our little boat, and I fear for the safety of me and my crew, I know it's where my soul belongs. It belongs with him. It gives me peace. I have fear for my daughter and all our children that are out working and living on their own, but I place them before the Lord. Knowing he's in charge, no matter what's going to be happening, he's got it in, under control. We live in scary times. I watch TV, people burning down buildings, people beating other people up, people shooting people, uh, people screaming all sorts of crazy stuff about the church that's not true, and sometimes people within the church screaming stuff that's about God that's not true. I see people committing the sin of Molech and offering their children up next door. It breaks my heart. I see people in the church rejecting the gospel. I see people outside the church rejecting the gospel. I see political parties destroying themselves. But I have peace, knowing that God's in control. God's in charge. And while people full of rage do all sorts of crazy stuff, I have peace because I know my Savior lives. And that this is not the end. This is the training ground for the future. Praise the Lord. This gets me so excited. Two weeks ago, I was in the office and I was praying with a bunch of pastors and one of them had picked this scripture passage to share. This is our um, last. Can you put the scripture up here, Josh? Oh, he can't read it, but I'll tell you what it is. Psalm uh, 37, verses 1 to 17. And I'm going to go ahead and read all of these and I'm going to emphasize the stuff that really stuck out in my, in my heart. Because as, as you look at life and look what's going on, we can be, uh, you know, we're excited that Christ is coming. But it's also scary right now because you're like, this world is going crazy. Which, by the way, it's always been going crazy. It's going crazy in 2020. It was going crazy 10 years ago and 10 years ago before that and 10 years ago before that. But this is what Psalm 37 says, verses 1 to 17. Do not fret because of evil men or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Praise the Lord. Trust in the Lord and do good. Now check this out. I love this word. Dwell. 
What does that mean? Live. And live where? Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. What, what does that mean? Focus on what you have that's good. Delight. Oh, I love this word. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight. Be happy with what you got. Oh, I'm just full of joy. Praise the Lord for him. Delight yourself in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and, and he will do this. Now, check this out. Commit. Be committed. 100%. I'm sold out. Sold out. In verse 6, he will make your righteousness shine like the dawn. Praise the Lord. The justice of your cause will be like a noonday sun. Verse 7, be still. How many of us can really be still? I'll tell you right now, it is hard for me to be still. Normally on vacation, it takes me two weeks to unplug. Um, going on that sailing trip first, I need to do that from now on. That really helped me unplug, literally because we had no internet. But it was great. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. And I love this part. Do not fret when men succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Don't we fret? We look at what's going on and we worry about stuff we can't change. Anybody ever do that before? All the time. I, I can't change it, but I'm fretting about it anyway. Do not fret when men succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. And here's, here's what's key here, too. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It leads to evil. Right? So you start worrying about something, you get all worked up about it, and then you act in a way that you shouldn't be acting. For evil men will be cut off, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. Amen. A little while, and the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will not be found. But the meek will inherit the land and enjoy great peace. Praise the Lord. The wicked plot against the righteous and gnash their teeth at them. Uh, it, you know, there's a woman I pray for all the time. And uh, she's is part of the pro-abortion side. And uh, she is just really mean. And uh, you are, we are super nice to her. And she's just really mean. She has no peace in her life. And I can't, every time I go to talk to her, I feel like I need to talk to her and just share love. And I go and talk to her, and she's just very cutting and mean. She's got a lot of pain in her life. And I just pray, Lord, someday we're going to break through, and your love's going to wash over her, and she's going to get saved. And Hallelujah! But she gnashes her teeth. But the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he knows their day is coming. The wicked draw the sword and bend the bow to bring down the poor and the needy, to slay those who are, whose way are upright, uh, but their swords will pierce their own hearts, praise the Lord, and their bows will be broken. Better the little that the righteous have than the wealthy of many wicked. How many of us are always dreaming about the thing we don't have? Right? Again, it's the idea, be happy with what you got. Better the little that the righteous have than the wealth of many wicked. For the power of the wicked will be broken, and, but the Lord, who does he uphold? The righteous. Amen. These are exciting times for those who trust in the Lord. Zechariah gives us the full picture from post-exile Israel to the first advent, to the, all the way to the end of the Bible. The whole thing. That's what Zechariah gives us. It's exciting. And as you read through God's word and you live through that time, uh, Zechariah would have thought, too, like most people, is evil going to win? 
It's not new for us to be living in a time where we might question the idea, is evil going to win? And we know it does not. God loves us so much that he doesn't want to see even one person perish. That's why he sent Jesus into the world. Um, God does not send people to judgment. We do that on our own by rejecting him. I pray this morning that you're excited to follow Christ. I'm excited. I'm excited. It doesn't mean I don't fret sometimes. I am the chief fretter sometimes. In fact, anytime you're feeling about fretting, you can stop knowing that that nature is already fretting enough for you. But I need, as all of us, just to trust in the Lord. Hey, he's in charge. He's in charge. No reason to rage, no reason to fret, no reason to worry. Plenty to be thankful for and delight in. Somebody loves you greatly. His name is Jesus. He loves us with a huge heart. In spite of ourselves, he loves us. And uh, that is the Savior that we know. This, uh, when we were on vacation, um, talking to a friend in, in California, I don't know if you know, but the church there still can't meet in person. I, I uh, our mentee, I may have gave him, I just spoke the truth. You know, he, he, uh, he's in California and he can't open the church. And he said, Major, what do I do when people just show up? They've just been showing up. So he's been putting a camera on the center of himself. And then he was, when people showed up, he just let them sit in the back. Somebody turned him in and, uh, and people got really grumpy. But I think he's still doing it again. I mean, what are you going to do? You're going to turn people away? Praise the Lord. We live in crazy times. People want to shut the church up. We can't be shut up. We need to speak the truth. Love people where they're at. We need to show peace and love in times of uncertainty. People are looking for something strong to hold on to, and that something strong to hold on to is Christ. Is Christ. Oh, it's so exciting. When you read through Zechariah, you realize that Zechariah was taking us from uh, his time all the way to the second coming of Christ. And that's a great story. And I'm happy and I'm just, we're so privileged to be part of that story, that narrative. We're we going to have salvation, eventual salvation in the end. And that we win. Evil is vanquished. But that doesn't mean as the church that we act like we got it and you deserve where you're going. As the church, we need to love people where they're at, help them to move forward. Help them realize that there's, they can have peace. Even in the midst of their pain. And there, there's a saying, and I don't know who said it originally, but uh, that whole idea of hurt people, hurt people. Have you ever heard that before? Hurt people, hurt people. As the church, we need to love people. Loved people, loves people. That's what we should be about. Loved people, love people. Be the church. Amen. I pray today that you're excited about being a believer. You're excited about what's going on in this world. You're happy and not fretting and saying, hey, God's in charge. Uh, no matter what's going on in my life, he's still in charge. Um, the waves might be plowing over the front of the boat. The crew looks scared. Doesn't matter. God's in charge. He is in charge. This morning, there's still this place of prayer. You can come and pray. You can pray at your seat. I don't know what's going on in your life. If you've got some major stuff going on, just ask the Lord, Lord, I place that on your altar.
I give that over to you. I trust in you. If you need someone to pray with, I'll gladly pray with you. I've had COVID, so you can't give it to me, and I can't give it to you. So be glad to pray with you. But um, uh, leave today just fully assured of what's going on in your life. If you're watching at home and you need someone to pray with, call one of us up. Call the church on this week. We'll be glad to pray with you or come over and visit you. And uh, but live in victory, knowing that uh, God can trust and that he loves you. He loves you. Let's pray. Lord, we, uh, well, Lord, thank you for your word again, Lord. And uh, thank you for your word that teaches us the truth, Lord. It reminds us that uh, whatever's going on in this world is not eternity. It's just a short time that we have here, Lord. And, and uh, we have eternity with you. Lord, I just pray that as we run into folks and you place people in our lives and you loan people to us, Lord, that we would just love them right where they're at, to share the gospel with them uh, through our lives, Lord, but also in words, Lord, that they might have uh, the same peace and joy that we have, Lord, that inner joy knowing that no matter what happens, you're in charge, Lord, and we thank you. Lord, I thank you for um, personally for your own work in my life, Lord, for the work of the people here, Lord, and Lord, we continue to pray for uh, um, revival, Lord, a great revival to wash over each one of us individually, Lord, and, and corporately, Lord, as a church body. Lord, as a, as a community in Spokane, Lord, and as a state and as a nation, Lord, we desperately pray for a, a great awakening, Lord. You've done it before, Lord. In, a time, in times where it seemed all was lost and People were going a completely other direction, and they had completely rejected you, Lord. You raised up men and women to come forward to share your gospel, Lord, and a great awakening took place. And, Lord, we need it again. So we pray for do it again, Lord. Do it again, Lord. Lord, there's, there's a lot of different individual uh, desires, concerns in, this, in here, Lord, so, some that might have uh, secret sins going on, Lord, or they might... Um, secret fretting, Lord, secret worrying, Lord, and whatever it might be, Lord. Just now I just pray for forgiveness for all of us, Lord, that uh, we place that on your altar, Lord, and, and trust in you, knowing that uh, you're in charge, Lord, so that we can live in victory and live in the joy that you so abundantly give to us, Lord. Thank you, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.